Church family, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these moments where we get to escape life and just lose ourselves in hearing your voice. And Lord, I'm just thankful that you promise your spirit. Faith comes from hearing the message. You promise to work, that your word will not return to you empty. And now may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear church family, good to see you. I want to start with a question. I want to ask the question, what do you think the greatest thing the church is that has to offer? What is the greatest thing the church has to offer? As you're thinking about that, I wanted to tell you a little bit of what was going on during my eight-week sabbatical. Uh, So I want to share with you some family pictures. Uh, We took a 5,000-mile road trip. 5,000-mile road trip, and we did it sideways. I'm just kidding. Um, The photos turned out sideways. We didn't actually. That'd be hard. Um, But um, we, in 5,000 miles, went as far as Key West. Um, That's the Ernest Hemingway house. We ate some key lime pie in Key West. We, if you can see it, went to Nashville. And uh, there's this show called Somebody Feed Phil. And we went to one of the restaurants that he ate at, had a crustless burger. It was amazing. I recommend it. Let's all go to Nashville. Uh, We went to New Orleans. Um, These things give Mariano's Donuts a run for their money. Maybe you've had some at Cafe Dumont. They are called beignets. Absolutely. And it was amazing. Whenever you get family time, to be able to just spend time seeing new things, eating new things, doing new things, it was awesome. So that was the the first four weeks, basically, of sabbatical. The the second four weeks, I also want to show you what I was up to. Um, So if you can present the the next picture. Uh, I have been working for almost two years on a book. And so this is that book cover. Uh, It's called It's Not About Me, and the subtitle is A Christian Answer to an Age of Narcissism. It is basically done. I'm in editing process, and now I am excited to soon release that to the congregation And uh, hopefully it'll just give God glory and and maybe even be a help for your life. Um, So that's what I've been up to, but good to see you. But while I was away, and maybe if you've ever had a long time away, um, you know, if you've ever been away for something, you reflect a lot, don't you? You reflect. You're like, okay, what is my life? What is it all about? And I've been reflecting a a lot about church. And so it gave me some time to think of that, that question I proposed before, which is, what is the greatest thing church has to offer? And a lot of things came to mind. So, so just last Sunday, I was down in Orlando, Florida, and I'm a son of the congregation there, Risen Savior, celebrating my, 70, my dad's 70th birthday. And there were people who remembered me when I was a teenager, people who I remember singing worship songs with. And I came back to that environment, I'm like, you know what the church has that's really good is community. It's pretty cool that the community of people that love one another, support one another, no matter how many years it has been. Community is a, a big blessing. Another thing the church has is food. So there was a potluck, and, and in my dad's church, people from all different countries, and they made this Caribbean chicken that was to die for. It was amazing. It was awesome. Other things, as I worshipped at, at different churches, there was phenomenal music. Musical styles varied. Uh, but a lot of praise and worship towards the Lord in, in wonderful ways. It was awesome. And then finally, it gave direction. I remember going through the weeks, and I'm like, man, I'm so thankful 
uh, when Pastor Jeff preached on purpose, or I'm so thankful that I got direction every week so I wasn't like aimless with my time on sabbatical. I had something to think about through God's word. But of all the things that, that the church has to offer, I would permit to you that that wasn't the greatest thing the church has to offer. For uh, you might know this, but there is good food apart from church. Maybe you ate some this summer. Uh, there's good music apart from church. Maybe you, any concert goers, anyone see any concerts, anything? We went to Duran Duran. Yeah, $5 tickets, so why not? Anyway. There's community outside of the church. You can meet people on vacation and in Cancun become best friends with like someone you know, you've never met before. There is direction apart from church. You have a world that, that rewards good behavior and punishes bad behavior. So, so then what is the, the greatest thing the church has to offer? Was anyone thinking what I was thinking? It's grace grace, isn't it? And I'm so excited to talk about this, especially if maybe you're new to Christianity, watching online, or new to this space, or, or maybe you've learned about grace along the way. Does anyone remember catechism? What did we call grace? It was God's undeserved love. Some of you know that definition. Grace is this idea that God doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. He treats me so much better than my sins deserve. Grace is this idea that no matter who I was yesterday, I can be a new creation today because God gives me a blank slate and a clean canvas to paint on. Grace is this idea that even when I run away, God's running after me, and he still wants me. Grace is in this story of a father who looked at a rebellious son, and the son had no right to come home, no right to be called a son. When the father saw the son, he didn't just sit on the porch. The father got up and ran to his son, and before the son could, could stop confessing, wrapped him up in the, the graceful arms of love and said, Welcome home, son. Let's celebrate. That's grace. And it's the reason for our salvation. I don't know what you know about church, but it isn't good people that have gone to heaven because no one's been good. It is the people that have received grace in Jesus Christ that have confidence to stand before a holy and almighty God. Scripture makes that so clear in the words of Ephesians 2. Consider these words. For it is by, can you say that word? Grace you have been saved through faith. And it isn't from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Is anyone else happy that we come to an environment that is filled with the knowledge of grace? You know, it kind of reminds me of the history of amazing love. So I've been here 15 years. It was about 15 years ago that a, a core group of people, one who's here, I see him in the front row, was sitting in a rented home in New Lenox, wondering what do we call this church? And there were a lot of ideas. Uh, some were like, well, what about a community name like Lincoln Way? Lincoln Way, that sounds, sounds oh, already taken? Okay. Um, well, I, I don't know, what about like, you know, a field name? You know, like something about the environment, like there's a Hickory Creek, right? So what, what if we do Hickory Creek? Already taken? Okay, all right. Um, well, what, what about a good church-sounding name? Um, I know, something that describes the house of God, uh, like sanctuary. It's a golf course? 
We'll try it. Okay, so it came down to Christ the Rock or Amazing Love. And I remember praying so hard that it would be Amazing Love. Because I knew that for the rest of my days, however long I was at church, what I wanted to do was tell people about a love that treats us better than we deserve, about a love that forgives our sins, about a love that pursues us even when we don't want to be pursued. And what do we call that love? We just call it amazing. See, amazing love was our attempt at a modern-day definition of what the church has that no one else has, which is grace. I'm so excited to talk to you about grace this morning. So today we're kicking off our series on Jonah. And uh, you ever been about or around someone who is the bad example? Like you ever have the boss where like you learn something but you learned exactly what not to do? <laughs> this is Jonah. In fact, uh, Jonah actually represents something that's pretty common in church world, and that is a Christian coming in God's name who is so awful that, that people like think of ruling out the idea of Christianity. Have you ever you know, had that experience where you came across someone in Christ's name who was so sinful, so bad, you're like, I don't know if I want to be a Christian then. Or maybe it's a conversation with a friend, and you're like, you know what, I don't go to church. It's because of this Christian. And let me describe what they did. That's why I'm not part of the community. Jonah is the prototypical example of that Christian. He is what we call a hypocrite. In fact, the statement over Jonah's life is this. The one who needed grace the most, you'll see, wants to give grace the least it's kind of like, I don't know if you ever met someone who is a contradiction of terms. It happens all the time. People are funny, isn't it? Let's just describe sarcasm and biting humor. There is someone who, like, prides themselves in sarcasm and biting humor. That's just who I am. I'm sarcastic and I'm kind of biting. And that same person hates sarcasm and biting humor. <laughs> but that's what you do. How can you? That's what people are. So Jonah, the one who needs grace the most, says, I don't want to give that to other people. We get to learn that thankfully God's grace is greater than Jonah's sin and greater than his hypocrisy. It goes far enough for Jonah, it goes far enough for the Ninevites, and yes, it goes far enough for you and I. And that's what we get to learn from today. So feel free to take out your Bibles. Uh, feel free to take out your worship folders. Always you can bring your Bibles here, your cell phones. Make notes. You're not sinning, by the way, if you write in the Word of God. And uh, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1. So here it is. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take note of us so that we will not perish. 
Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Well, Jonah had an idea of what they should do. Skipping down to verse 12, he said, You know, if you pick me up and throw me into the sea, it'll become calm. For I know it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So Jonah had to be thrown overboard. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. The raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Powerful words. In fact, Scripture says this is just like Jesus who was in a tomb for three days and came out again. Before we continue, can you turn to the person next to you and say, grace is greater. Grace is greater. I haven't preached in a while, so if we're here for like two hours, I've just uh, got to warn you. Um, I want to talk about a phenomenon known as the opposite effect. The opposite effect is seen whenever it is supper time, and either mom or dad calls upstairs and says, come down for supper. Now, the opposite effect in young people translates come down for supper as sit there longer until I have to tell you again. Have you ever seen the opposite effect? It's, it's for the teacher in a classroom. And that teacher says two words that are very clear. Stop talking. And because of the opposite effect in that phenomenon, even the kids who are quiet by nature want to start talking. They're like, oh, I forgot about the thing I had to tell my neighbor. Maybe now's a good time. The opposite effect might happen at Six Flags. We're taking teens to Six Flags. And if you ever go to Six Flags, there are areas where like the roller coasters come. And it's common sense. You probably should not, you know, walk by where roller coasters are, like, coming through. And so they have signs, signs that say, do not enter, right? And it's in seeing this sign that the opposite effect takes hold and be like, I wonder what it would be like to be over that fence. Hmm, that'd be great. Yeah, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Well, Jonah proves that the opposite effect, it's not just in young people, it actually happens to adults as well. So, so God shows up, and in verse 1, God says something very, very clearly. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. And this is one of those things where it's not like, well, I'm having a hard time. What, where, what should I do? No, this is very clear. It's not like he has to figure out God's will. Did God really say... No, go to Nineveh. But a map will help us understand Jonah's opposite effect. Nineveh is 550 miles this way. Tarshish, wow, did he pick a destination. Like, I don't even know how you travel that far in that day, right? 25,000. The example today, uh, equivalent, would be like if God said go to Toronto and you booked a flight for San Diego. Like, like that's what Jonah is doing. And now that we've talked about other examples, I wonder, have you ever struggled with the opposite effect in your own life? Is there something in, in your life, like in mine, where, like, it's not fuzzy? 
like, you know what God wants you to do. It isn't up for debate. It's not like, well, did, uh, do, do you really say? No, you know. It's just that you want to do the opposite. Well, the Apostle Paul helps us understand why that is. And the Apostle Paul was writing to Christians in Rome about the struggle with the sinful nature. It's a section that describes that we are simul justus et peccator. I get to use my Latin. Which means we are at the same time justified and sinners. And by the way, as long as you live on planet Earth, you are right now justified because of Jesus Christ. And yet, you are going to struggle with sin the rest of your life. This is just the way of human nature. And Paul describes what's going on because of our sinful nature. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, he says, I wouldn't have known what coveting was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But, can you say that word? But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Our sinful nature is such that sometimes we didn't even think about what sin to do until we were told not to do it. Isn't that crazy? And by the way, one of the tangents is this, that that's the reason this church or any Christian church cannot just be about the laws of God. If all I would preach to you is about morality, all I would do is assure you of your sinfulness and perhaps give you reason to be even more sinful because that's what the law does. We cannot be just about the law of God. But God who sees all of this, not in our own lives, but in Jonah's life, who had every reason to give up on Jonah, and, and like, yep, you, reb, you rebellious heart, I'm, I'm done with you. He has every right to do that to us as well. But it's not what he does. He shows grace. And what I want to assure you of is our first fill-in, and that is God's grace is greater than our rebel hearts. However far away you ran away, whatever you did when the opposite effect had hold of your heart, I want to remind you that God's grace is greater than that. And the reason is because of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ had a calling, and he went to a cross. And I don't know what you know on the cross, but on the cross, Jesus paid for grace. Jesus paid for forgiveness. Jesus paid for the concept that a holy God could treat sinners better than they deserve. And that's what he does. And I want you to know, no matter how bad it was, it's forgiven. And he reminds you, he has hurled your sin to the depths of the sea and he sees it no more. How awesome. But what if? What if we were people that didn't just hear about the grace of God, but were transformed by the word of God? What if we did like James, the brother of Jesus, who said, don't just merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Why don't you go ahead and do what it says? You know, to talk about this, I, I consider the impact of either good activity or bad activity on generations of people. 
So as I mentioned, uh, th- this last Sunday, I had a chance to go to Orlando and my, my, 70th, my dad's 70th birthday. Uh, here's a picture of my dad when he graduated from seminary. Um, Stephen Bloomer, who definitely has the best pastoral mustache, so um, it's pretty awesome. I was thinking of growing one, you know, because it's on trend right now, but I didn't want to be disrespectful, so... Um, that, that's Dad Bloomer. And um, I was able to reflect a little bit and just celebrate, you know, all the lives he touched with the gospel as a pastor in El Paso, Texas, where I was born, or in St. Stephen's Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, and now in Orlando, Florida, the past 25 years. I saw over and over him preaching God's word and helping God's people, uh, whether at bedsides or at funerals, whether in counseling or on Sunday mornings. And it's amazing the impact that, that one person can have when they're up to good things, right? If someone's up to good, it makes a difference. But I'm at the age where my dad is starting to tell me some of the stories that maybe you don't tell a young person about how the bloomers used to be. So I won't go into any dirty detail, but the bloomers were not always connected to God. I guess in the 1920s, we were a big deal. We were so rich in the 1920s that bloomer teenagers had their own Model T. That's pretty cool. Let's go back there. Just kidding. Because at that time, because of affluence and losing it through the stock market crash of the 20s, they weren't connected to God. Affluence led to other things rather than God. Bitterness over losing it probably led to other things rather than wanting to worship God. And that was our state. In fact, it was my grandfather who was baptized at 16 years old, wasn't always a Christian, that led to my father being a Christian. That's how quickly things have changed. And what I got to hear that I won't share with you are all the bad consequences (laughs) of when they weren't following God. And there were quite a few, as you might imagine. The reason I bring this up is because as Jonah is running from God in rebellion, there are consequences that he can't avoid. As Jonah runs from God, God allows a storm to happen. God allows it so that not only Jonah is affected by his sin, but those around him are affected by his sin. The sailors that day have to throw over their cargo, and they have a long trip. The sailors that day are are worried about their lives, all because of the dysfunction and rebellion that Jonah has created. You know, it kind of reminds me of the pastoral epistles. And in the pastoral epistles, it talks about our good and bad behavior. And um, our good and bad behavior is seen through um, that passage from Timothy. Um, It says, The sins of some are obvious, reaching to the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. I was talking to Pastor Jeff, and he has African Proverbs. And um, I'm probably not going to get it right, but the great thing about him being away is I can just make something up and, you know, it's an African proverb. But it went something like this, that as much as you push or read down into the water, it'll always pop up. That's, that's mine anyway. Um, and it had the idea to do with truth, that as much as you try to sink truth down, it'll always pop up. And isn't that true for Jonah? Jonah tried to rebel. Jonah was not the one confessing his sin. The only way he got, you know, uh, confessing is, is because he got caught. 
And so in the account, Jonah knows what he has to do. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I created this chaos. I know how to solve it. For I know that it is my fault that the great storm has come upon you. But look at the reaction and the grace of unbelievers. The unbelievers who had no obligation to treat him well. No heart of God that says, well, we shouldn't do that. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They tried to save him. Jonah, the, the, one, the man of God, has no care about what he's creating. <laughs> he only confessed when he was caught. And the people without God care about his life when they have no reason to. Isn't that incredible? Do you know a sad commentary about Christian life? There are times when the righteousness of unbelievers is greater than the righteousness of believers. The civic righteousness anyway, because without faith we cannot please God. The civic righteousness that sometimes unbelievers act in a better way than believers. And that was this day. So where is God's grace? God's grace is the storm. See, if there was no storm and Jonah got his way, he would have fled from the Lord, and who knows if he would ever come back to the Lord. God's grace is the whale. God in heaven who says, release the whale, the big fish. That's the grace of God. In fact, our next fill-in is this, that God's grace is found in the consequences to rebellion. You know, one of the chapters I'm writing is about children. And um, I have a feeling that if you live a life that's all about me, then you probably won't want to discipline your children. Because to discipline children is not fun. In fact, when you discipline children, sometimes the comments you'll hear are, you're mean, you're cruel, I don't like you. But you and I both know that if children don't receive discipline, that's not love. They need consequences so that they learn. You cannot do that. You cannot go there. That will not be good for you. Our Heavenly Father is the same. I remember talking to a member who says, you know, sometimes I just need him to thump me on the head because that's the only way I turn around. That's what he does, doesn't he? I consider the life of a man named Paul. And the greatest thing God did in Paul's life is when he was on his way to Damascus, what did he do? He was struck with blindness. The blindness he was struck with is the grace of God. The storm that day is the grace of God. Because as the, the writer of the Hebrews says, look at what it says it's about discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We have a God who in his mercy allows consequences for our sin to get us to turn around. In fact, I, I kind of wonder, is there any area in your life that you would call chaotic, stormy, because you're not listening to God's word? He might allow the storm. He might release the whale. He might do whatever he can 
to turn you around, not because he's mean and not because he's cruel, because he loves you more than you know. But the big question of the story is this. What if Jonah did it differently? What if Jonah, instead of rebelling from the calling, actually followed that calling? What if instead of viewing the Ninevites poorly, viewed them uh, in a good light? You know, Jonah may have had some reasons to not like the Ninevites. You know, part of the story of Jonah is, is the story of the Ninevites and the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were nasty people. The Assyrians, as uh, you can tell in, in carvings of the past, the Assyrians were a people known for, for torturing people, for impaling people, for skinning people alive. They were a nasty bunch. The equivalent today is kind of like the nation of Russia. And we learned a lot about Russia during our Ukrainian mission journey. That during World War II, they uh, forced Ukrainians into service and millions of, of Ukrainians lost their lives. There was a time of forced starvation. Um, and now there is war, an unjust war at that. And, and so Jonah might have looked at these cruel people and said, no, 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 they don't deserve the grace of God. They are worse sinners than I am. Why should I show them the grace of God? But God is inviting Jonah to view him differently. You know, the hero of any story is never a person, it's Jesus Christ. Because Jonah rebelled against the calling, and Jonah rebelled against viewing people that way, but Jesus Christ did not. Jesus Christ, who knew his mission was the cross, set out resolutely for Jerusalem so that we could be saved. Jesus, who was the perfect and holy Son of God did not view people as less than, but even to the soldiers who were piercing his hands and feet to the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so the hero of the story, always, whenever we gather, is not Jonah, it is Jesus Christ, our Savior. And learning from him, I have two practical takeaways for today. So bear with me with two last points. So after we've been saved by grace, God in grace gives us purpose. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says this, that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God in grace gives us purpose, doesn't he? And what's so wonderful is that he doesn't tell us exactly what we have to do. You can choose where to work, you can choose who to marry, um, where to live, all these things. But you should serve the Lord. And while that is very free, there is one specific thing that we should do, which is get involved in the church. Is help out. Use your talents and abilities. And so I want to tell you about a day that is coming up. August 20th is our volunteer day. And uh, talk about um, good deeds making an impact. Isn't it true that when people choose to serve on a Sunday morning, it has an impact on your life? What, were you greeted today? Did you hear some good music today? Are your kids in a great environment today? Isn't it true that when people get together and serve the Lord, it has an impact? And we get to be part of that. We get to serve the Lord together. And I think it's God's grace 
Our next fill-in is this, that God's grace comes to us by giving us a purpose. And your next step today is this, that empowered by grace, I will run to God's calling, not away from it. Because as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good. So I want to encourage you just to pray this week of, of how you might continue to be involved or how you might get involved. How God might use your good activity to bless other people. But perhaps a greater thought and something to put into practice this week and in our lives is Jonah. So I was talking about the cruelty of the Ninevites, and some commentaries say that the reason he didn't want to go again to Nineveh is because maybe he had a family member, maybe he had a friend who was affected by the cruelty of that nation. It's possible. And so he couldn't imagine going and trying to give grace to people who are so brutal to those who had hurt him. In fact, the, the world has a principle around this kind of activity that hurt people hurt people, right? But the story of Jonah is completely different. The story of Jonah is that God is showing grace to him time and time again through the storm, through the whale. We'll see it later on through a leaf. Time and time again, offering and showing grace. And what Jonah doesn't do that we still have opportunity to is that as we've been shown grace, to show grace. Because I believe graced people can grace people. And I wonder what chaos would be quelled if we did that. What dysfunction going on would be quelled if we did that. I wonder how our world would change if instead of viewing people as worse off Christians, saying they need justice, we just showed the same grace that God gave to us. Not condoning their bad behavior. Not doing it with a spirit that says, I'm better and I'm going to prove how I'm better. But from a heart that overflows with this idea that every day I've lived, God has treated me better than my sins have deserved. And so I have the opportunity to do that for you. As graced people, grace people, this is a church, this is a movement, this is a heartbeat that I would love to be a part of. That I would love to keep and hold as part of the culture of amazing love and one of our core values is grace-centered. May we give God glory by doing this and may the Holy Spirit empower you to do this in your life. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, church, uh, it's time that we get to confess our faith, uh, time that we get to confess who God is, what he's done for us. Uh, today we'll use the words of the Nicene Creed. Let's join together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. 
for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.